Okay, so learning to uh, enjoy God and worship him. And uh, that is why we gather together. We, we want to learn. We're real heavy, especially in Baptist circles. By the way, I was ordained a conservative Baptist, I want you to know, in uh, Tucson, Arizona, in the late 70s. This September, I will have known Jesus in a personal way for 50 years. can give you the exact date that he stepped down into Flushing, New York, and rescued a hippie, rebel, snot-nosed kid that was still living in Aunt Doris's house. She should have thrown him out. She didn't have the guts to do that. I would have deserved it. My mother loved me. So, God got a hold of me. In our living room, watching television, some guy, you probably never heard of him, his name was, uh, let's see, Billy, Billy, Billy Graham, I think it was. And uh, I don't even remember what he was preaching, but the Holy Spirit apprehended me and not only gave me eternal life, but called me to ministry in the same night. It was an amazing experience. And it's something like that that I kind of want to encourage us today about, if I may. Old school preaching today, I'm going to ask you to either turn on your Bible, for you cool people, and then the rest of us, if you want to cheat, your Bible in the pew or your personal Bible, your favorite book for devotions, Zephaniah, I mean Zechariah, Zechariah, the eighth chapter. And if you want to use your pew Bible, I'm going to give you the page, 1479. 1479 is exactly the text that we'll be looking at. We're going to get to it in a couple of moments. So I just want you to have your Bible open. I want you to leave it there. Right at that text, I'm only going to have you turn to one other text. Two texts. How easy can it be? One primary text and one follow-up text that will be found in the book of Acts, chapter 3, which I know no one will have trouble finding that, I'm sure. Let me think here for a second about how I want to start. Last two years have been interesting, don't you think? Kind of annoying? Really? COVID was quite the drama. We've lost people as a result. I know some of you probably have. It's been hard. Um, More often, just kind of complicating our life a bit. Last year, uh, as we were going through this as a congregation and people were shut in, I did some fireside chats so that I could speak some encouragement periodically. And then when we came out of it and we started regathering, and we're still kind of mixed, just like you are, we've got... Uh, what is it, social distancing, and some have masks and some don't have to anymore because they're fully vaccinated or whatever. As we started in, I decided I would share a, a series on spiritual hacks, words of encouragement. And uh, I thought, I hope everybody gets that. You know what a hack is, right? Not, not a cab driver. In New York City, it's a cab driver, right? Used to be. A rough cut, a blow, or a stroke, like you would see somebody utilizing a machete. An act of computer hacking. That's a hack. And now we use it for a shortcut or an easy trick. Uh, Something easy to remember that'll fix your faucet or fix something that's broken in your house or get your car to start or whatever it might be. It's called a hack. They use that. Uh, I'm... If you figured out, I was a young man when I got saved 50 years ago. I'm a lot older now. I get this thing called AARP magazine. 
Very exciting. Readers respond. I just found it in the latest. Life hacks. That's what I was talking about with my people. Life hacks, spiritual life hacks, things that we can do. Easy to remember principles for regaining our spiritual composure. Helping us stay on track. Up against some of the difficulties. COVID itself was enough. Our culture feels like it's fraying, right? People's bad behaviors. My wife likes to comment occasionally when we see something really rough on the road or a road rage thing or rudeness in a store or whatever. The increasing incivility of our culture. Any of that ever discourage any of you? Am I the only one? Am I a weenie or what? What's wrong with me? Am I the one? Now, some of it is. And yet there are some things that do encourage me. One of my hacks was uh, the simple secret of gratitude in light of all the things that we go through. Uh, Gratefulness for small things. Really, in a large sense, except for the danger zone, COVID has simply caused a lot of inconvenience and irritation. I was over in Nairobi in a lovely little uh, house, uh, a guest house called Kijiji, and uh, when I would uh, take a shower at Kijiji House, I had to kind of, and I'm, you notice I don't have a lot of heft, and I'd have to run around in the shower to get wet. It would just kind of dribble out. It was a very interesting thing. 220, you had to reach out in the middle of your shower and turn on the 220 to heat up the water. And then when it got scalding and your blood started to come out, you know, you turn it off again and it would cool down. And then when you couldn't stand it anymore, you turn it back on again. And that's how you took a shower. When my shower works, I got to tell you, thank you, Jesus. I'm serious. Small things. You see, you don't know the rest of my story. My shower, the whole house plugged up with some junk in the pipes, and so I had to flush it all out and get it to work. And whenever that happened, my wife and I would look at each other and say, Kijiji house. And now, a full, wonderful shower. How many, do you take showers for granted? Do you, do you guys take showers? Or, or something like that? <laughs> You're making me nervous here. Uh, my people, I had to train them to talk to me, talk back to me. I don't mean be mean, but talk back, you know, speak, connect, let me know you're here, that kind of a thing. One of the hacks that helps me, when I look at the difficulties that uh, maybe the church is facing, is a verse that Paul said to Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I share the gospel or I witness or I preach or whatever, it feels to me like we're out of season. Does anybody relate? Like, is there anything moving, anything happening? And when you see the Holy Spirit dropping truth into a person's life, it's like a little stirring, a little sniff of springtime coming our way. One day I had a a young lady come down to the front of the church, which with COVID, we're getting everybody out and blowing the air out of the building, you know? And even during that time, uh, saying, how can I have my sins forgiven? Do you know how many people, how, how few ask a question like that straight up? It was like, something must be stirring. So, 
How do I keep myself encouraged? There have been lots of discussions. I know there's been hard times here at this assembly. I know you've got some history, pastoral transitions, and all of the things I only hear a little bit about because I'm kind of related to somebody here, but also because, uh, you know, I'm interested. Uh, I'm nosy, I guess one guy told me, but anyway. I look at the prophets a number of times, and I think of this. Though the fig tree should not blossom... There be no fruit on the vines, though there, the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Anybody recognize that? Habakkuk, right? How? The stocks are declining. There's empty shelves. Remember the season? You couldn't get toilet paper. Remember all that? Everything's going wrong. Oh, now they've got it. Now they've got to be in quarantine. Not again. Another member of the family. And here we are locked up. Remember all that? Everything's going rotten. That's what Habakkuk's talking about. Everything's gone south. Sorry for those of you who own houses in Florida. Yet will I exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. How do you do that? Well, let me quote the Psalms. I hope I don't ruin Pastor Mike's series. Psalm 92. For thou, O Lord, has made me glad by what thou hast done. I will sing for joy at the works of thy hands. How great are thy works, O Lord. Psalm 92, 4 through 5. There's something about remembering the works of God. I don't know if any of you are acquainted with Tommy Walker. He does worship uh, CDs, and there's one where the name of the song is, We Will Remember the Works of Thy Hands. We will remember. We will shout and give you praise for great is thy faithfulness. When things are going badly, when we're feeling like we're in the dark, when we feel like God isn't listening. Anybody ever feel like that? I have. I definitely have. Are you real? Where are you? I will remember the works of your hands. Usually every year, they blew it this year. You know, Snoopy cartoons in the paper have never gone away. Right? Snoopy. Uh, I used to live up in the Binghamton area, and right outside of Binghamton was uh, the artist. Uh, Oh, that was B.C. Sorry, I got it wrong. But anyway, Snoopy... Every year, on June 6th, everybody know what day that is? D-Day. Snoopy would be in the water with those caltrops wading through onto shore with the helmet, remembering D-Day. Every time that was in the paper, my wife and I would look at each other. We didn't have to say anything. We started weeping. There's something about remembering the great things that God has done. Passover was a reminder. The saints celebrated, thinking back on the mighty works of God. The Lord's table is a reminder. In fact, he says, remember. And if I remember, I might be able to rejoice because I remember the works of your hands, remember your mighty deeds. So my hope for today is that I encourage you out of the word of God that maybe a few prayer warriors or some saints who are discouraged or um, maybe like what's the use will be um, oiled, if I might.
by the Holy Spirit to encourage you, God has not fallen off his throne. I need to remind myself of that. He's not lost this stuff. I remember hearing a preacher one day say, well, what's the matter today? Has the Holy Spirit lost this stuff? Is he not God anymore? No, he's still God. The problem's not usually with him. It's usually with us, (laughs) somewhere along the line. But I want to give us some encouragement to not lose heart and to press on into the future. So, with that in mind, if you would turn to this text in Zechariah, Zechariah, the 8th chapter, starting in the 20th verse. And I'm going to have you leave it open because I'm going to come back to the final verse in a few minutes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, It will yet be that peoples will come, even the inhabitants of many cities, and the inhabitants of one will go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts, and I will also go. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. By the way, there's a parallel text also in Micah, if you want to take time later to look at it. But same idea, that the, that the, the, the people of God, that the church of God, I know it's talking about Jerusalem, but there is an application. There's a reason the early saints wrote hymns like, O Zion, haste, thy mission high fulfilling. Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion city of our God, because it was an understanding, it's the people of God, the temple of God, where God shows up that will be like the city on a hill, that will be a light unto the Gentiles, that will draw peoples to him. Now I have an interesting uh, little thing. The reason this verse came to my mind when I considered coming over to share with you is that it is the lead verse to a famous tract that was written back in the 1700s by probably what was one of the greatest theologians in our American history, Jonathan Edwards. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of him. But if you've studied a little bit about church history, you know that the Great Awakening hit America in those days, what, what, uh, what happened back in the 1720s, 30s, and 40s. But here's the title of the tractate that Jonathan Edwards wrote. And he was inspired by some brothers in Scotland who had agreed to a similar thing. And if you've never heard this before, I'm sure some of you have, but let me just mention the title is rather long. It's called An Humble, it's Old English, An Humble Attempt to Promote Explicit Agreement and Visible Union of God's People in Extraordinary Prayer for the Revival of Religion and the Advancement of Christ's Kingdom on Earth, Pursuant to Scripture Promises and Prophecies Concerning the Last Time. That's the title. Okay? Takes a while. Actually, I read the original. It's one quarter of the title. Because they used to describe it that way. If you want to see an excellent video on this particular subject, J.O.N.R., he's gone to be with the Lord. He was probably one of the leading scholars on the subject of renewal uh, in America. Here's the interesting thing. A revival of religion. Let's be clear. When they used the word religion back then, they're talking about Christianity. They're talking about true Born again, following Jesus, Christianity, following what the Word of God says. So don't be put off by that. We like to witness things. Say, we're not talking about religion, we're talking about relationship. But back then, if you said religion, you meant Christianity. Okay? 
a revival, and there's another problem. We have to unpack that word of religion. Okay? So I want to quote from Mr. Edwards' text for just a minute. And he says this at the beginning of his tractate. It is evident from the scriptures, which was primarily an appeal for saints to gather to pray. Now, you may not believe this, but people from different denominations, if they're in Christ, can actually be in unity. Can I pick on Vicki? Her dad was a holiness preacher. He and I and some Methodists and some other Wesleyan brothers, etc., Baptists, you name it, used to pray together up in the Binghamton area on a regular basis. Uh, we were crazy enough to meet at 6.30 in the morning every Thursday, praying together in unity. No competition, no sitting in judgment of each other, asking God, let's face it, if God pours his spirit on the church, every boat in the canal is going to rise. And that's what we wanted. We didn't care who got more people. If they start coming to faith, amen? I mean, do, do, yeah? Yeah. Am I in the wrong church? Am I okay? So far, so good? No tar and feathering? All right. He says, It is evident from the scripture there is yet remaining a great advancement of the interest of religion and the kingdom of Christ in this world by an abundant outpouring of the Spirit of God, far greater and more extensive than has ever yet been. It is certain that many things which are spoken concerning the glorious time of the church's enlargement and prosperity in the latter days has never yet been fulfilled. It is often foretold and signified in a great variety of strong expressions that there should a time come when all nations throughout the whole habitable world should embrace the true religion. What does he mean? Jesus. And be brought into the church of God. It was promised to the patriarchs, etc. In your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Is God going to do that or not? You know what's interesting? This is what got my attention. That was written after the revival broke out in New England. After! In other words, I'm going to tell you a story. Jonathan Edwards was preaching in his assembly in the town of Northampton. Northampton had a population of 1,100 people. And in the midst of a couple of years, under the influence of the Spirit of God, 300 new converts were added to that church. 300 out of a whole population of 1,000. Do the math. You only have to go after so many. That's all that's left. God did a work. And he saw this happen, and all throughout the colonies, something between 25 and 50,000 people out of a population of about 350,000 people were born again. Isn't that cool? Can you imagine that happening in Fishkill? I mean, I can imagine it. I'm not sure I have enough faith and strength in my spirit to press into it, but maybe a whole congregation nutcase about it might work. Pestering God, if you will. And so after he saw that remarkable working of the Spirit, he writes this to encourage the continuation. More. Let it be so, God. Let people be drawn into your family in a powerful, powerful way. 
That's what he was looking for. A city on the hill, the light unto the Gentiles. Can I just be clear about something? Sometimes we hear the word revival and we kind of, something clicks and we get it wrong. We're used to seeing like marquees at churches that say revival meetings, such and such a date. And it's okay if what you mean is evangelism, but that's really not a... You can't schedule that. It's something that God moves in his sovereignty and does a work first in his church and then in the hearts of the unbelieving. Revival in the understanding... By the way, there's an excellent book if you're interested in the subject of renewal. Richard Lovelace wrote a wonderful text called... um, The Dynamics of Spiritual Life, it's probably 30 years old now, but it's outstanding research. And he talks about Lovelace's view, or or, um, uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards' view, revival in his understanding is not a special season of extraordinary religious excitement, as in many forms of later American revivalism. A lot of tricks and manipulations and those kind of things that go on, those came out of the result of, and we tried to make those rules. Rather, real revival, renewal, is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this is the key phrase, which restores the people of God to normal. It is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit which restores the people of God to normal spiritual life after a period of corporate declension. In other words, I don't know about you, I look out at the church in America, we're struggling. Across the board, we're struggling, okay? We're not gaining in terms of conversion. I'm going to give you some stats that will encourage you. I hope that God has not fallen off his throne. He's still at work and he's still building his kingdom. And my prayer is always, give us a little bit more of that, please. Bring some our way. Please. A little reviving. Let me go on one more comment from Richard Lovelace. Periods of spiritual decline occur in history because the gravity of indwelling sin, gravity, the downward pull of indwelling sin, keeps pulling believers first into formal religion and then eventually into open apostasy. Periods of awakening alternate with these as God graciously breathes new life into his people. And every major advance historically in the church of God has been preceded by that kind of a work, usually as a result of God's people desperately crying out. You know the, you know the verses, right? Chronicles, if my people... Well, you get that. And oh, you say, oh, that was just for the Jews. Yeah, but I think there might be an application. Might be able to apply some of that. Downward pull versus the upward press of the Holy Spirit. It is an amazing thing to watch a person who has been living in a sub-Christian experience when the lights start to come on and all of a sudden you see the life of Jesus shining out of them. We had a little of that happen over at our church recently. It's been more encouragement than I can imagine just to see that happen. An outpouring of the Spirit that restores us the people of God, to normal spiritual life. Some of you may have heard of Finney. He got a little bit fanatical, but the burned-over district of upper New York State. But one of his principles was simply this. What revival is, the church gets born again again. The church gets born again again, and non-believers watching it go, I want in. 
They get drawn. What happened to them? I'm going to tell you a story that'll help you with that at the end, okay? You've got to wait till the end. You can't leave yet. What, by the way, I was told I can preach till what? 1.30, was it? No, I don't think. What time do we... What time does the cameras go off? Do we have a, do we have a time? We're good? Oh, that was a mistake. That was the wrong thing to say. Okay. All righty. God has and can do this again. And that was where I find my... I will remember the works of your hands. When I get discouraged, when I feel like I've been preaching out of season, when I started across the river, we had come through a very hard time, not unlike some that you've been through, and it was so disheartening. For four years, I was preaching out of season. I have to remember the works of your hands. It encourages me. It keeps me going. It reminds me that something else can happen. God has done it, and he can do it again. I want you, if you still have your Bible open, look to the last verse I did not read. When that happens, verse 23, Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew. By the way, make the application, right? The Israel of God, as Paul put us will grasp the garment of a Jew and say, let us go with you. We have heard that God is with you. There's something about your life that we want. It's different. Isn't that great? I know your pastor, because I know he has had an emphasis on outreach, and I think churches do need that encouragement. It's harder to keep that value in front of us than any other value. Keep pushing that. It's just harder. Wouldn't it be fun to do evangelism like that? You know, you go down the neighborhood, I've got these Bibles, these people inundate you, you know, tell me about this. Can't imagine it. This man is a raving, who is this fossil? Who let him in here, right? That's what you're wondering. But I've seen stuff like that. Not, not ten at once. I haven't been ganged up ever. I have seen people shaking. I have seen people so under the conviction of the Spirit. I've seen a little reviving in my past experience up north. It was an amazing thing that people were getting born again. Uh, We had them coming from the college campus. I don't know what. Most of those students were from New York, and I guess they figured they had a connection because I was from New York City. We had people coming from, um, what what do you call, uh, confessing, what's the word I'm looking for? Um... I had it earlier when I was driving across the river, and now I can't remember it. Yeah, evangelical churches, I was having people come who wanted to experience what does it mean to really walk in the Spirit and enjoy God, and I had people coming from dead traditional churches that were taught about the Bible, but there was no life. They were coming, getting born again. And on and on, and it got to a point, at one point, because I, I try to honor my fellow pastors, I'd have people, I'd come in on ch- to church on a Sunday morning, and there'd be, one week there'd be one couple, and two weeks later there'd be two rows of people. And I'd be going, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> this isn't good for somebody, probably a pastor I know. And in some cases I would say, where are you from? And they'd tell me, and I'd say, Pastor Dan is a great pastor. You go back there and encourage him. And in other cases, they'd tell me where they were from and say, have a seat. And eventually, the Spirit would be working with them. It was an awesome thing to watch. An infusion of life. 
after the gravity of indwelling sin had taken us down first into formal religion and maybe even apostasy, as some of those mainline denominational churches, that's what I was trying to come up with, that had fallen away, or just formality, as so many legalistic churches are, that the life of Christ can't break out past all their self-imposed rules. And people were coming alive. I'm grateful that I got to see it on my watch. That's all I can say. That God is alive, that he does do this. But God is doing this kind of a work, outreach, where ten men from all the nations will grab a hold of a Jew and say, take us with you. It's happening around the world. I mentioned that I had been in Nairobi. Nairobi, Africa, Nairobi Chapel. Boy, you want to have a worship session. Seeing these people coming to the Lord. I mean, Africa, most of the Christian, uh, Christian-influenced nations, they're on their game at this point. They're where America was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Rolling. Amazing. Asia. South America. People coming to faith all the time. Do you know what the fastest-growing church, where the fastest-growing church in the world is? You're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it. I know you're not going to believe it. I'm not making it up. You can check it. Iran. Go check it out. You know, be like the uh, Bereans. Go see if that's really true. The Iranian church, listen to this. In the last 20 years, more Iranians have become Christians than in the previous 13 centuries since Islam came to Iran. In 1979, there were an estimated 500 Christians from a Muslim background in Iran. Today, there are hundreds of thousands, some estimate more than a million. Something's happening, and it's the power of the Spirit. Sometimes vision, speaking to people who understand that kind of thing, they believe in that kind of thing, and the Spirit of God is rescuing people. Sounds like be a lot easier to do it that way, right? Be a lot of fun. Some examples I want to give with you to you today to encourage you, because when I pray, sometimes I say um, the way I think it was Ezra and Nehemiah in their little revival. Lord, you have granted us a little reviving, and sometimes I look at us, I look at our churches, and I go, Lord, just grant us a little. Give us the faith to press in together to give us a little reviving. When I see a little stirring of the Spirit, I get encouraged and I want to pray into that. I want to water that plant so that it grows up. So let me share a few stories. First one, I already told you that God made it easy for evangelism in Edwards' day because it was like one in four people in the town of Northampton had come to faith. Wow. <laughs> All you have to do is put a track on four cabins. You know, we've covered the turf, if you know what I mean. Some other things that have happened. Welsh Revival, which happened, by the way, you go, well, that was back in the 1700s, but it's happened over and over and over. And I'm going to mention a couple of old ones, and then I want to bring it up to the present. Wales the revival that influenced America as well, happened in the 1905 period. And uh, people came to faith in remarkable ways. And there is a story, if you're, if, you're, if you're looking for not just the impact in terms of people coming to faith, 
It's also fun to see the impact that it has on people when people come to faith in that kind of a way. In the 1905 revival, 100,000 people in 1904 in Wales were converted in a five-month period. If you want to read it or look it up, J. Winor is the author of a lot of these details. He was an outstanding scholar. I mentioned he's with the Lord now, and he's even on a video. It looks kind of corny now. It's really old, but every time I listen to it, I break down weeping, listening to it. What God did, I will remember the works of your hands. I'm going to steal from him. Can I steal from him? I'm giving him credit so you can't accuse me of uh, plagiarism. That in New York City, in the middle of the 1800s, where they prayed downtown in, in New York City, they started a prayer meeting and a revival broke out. There was an invitation to come to prayer. Nobody showed up or a couple of people. And then in a few weeks, it started becoming thousands of men, primarily men working in Manhattan at that time, gathering for prayer. When the, Bible, when the revival broke out, that is, people started coming to faith. They were either being born again again or they were being born again for the first time. The revival went up the Hudson, down the Mohawk. People were getting converted so fast they didn't have time to process everybody. The story goes they broke a hole in the ice in the river and baptized people in cold water. Baptist churches. J. Winnor said, when Baptists do that, they're really on fire. How fun is that? 100,000 people were converted in a five-month period. Five years later, J.P. Morgan, this is in Wales, wrote a book to debunk the revival, making fun of it, a bunch of baloney, a bunch of hysteria. His main criticism was that of the 100,000 that joined the churches in the five months of the revival, after five years, only 80,000 still stood. In other words, 100,000 people profess faith, and five years later, you still had 80,000 of them. And he thought that was something to mock. Can you imagine? Think of how many people have gone through our doors. My church, your church, my church up north, come and gone, professed faith, been baptized, come and gone, don't know where they've ended up, right? Imagine if 80,000 out of 100,000. I'm not a math guy, but that's a lot. It's a big percentage, right? Isn't that awesome? A work of the Spirit. But what about the social impact? Did it change anybody? In Wales, this was astounding. Judges were presented with white gloves. They had no cases to try. No rapes, no robberies, no murders, no burglaries, no embezzlements, nothing. The district councils held emergency meetings to discuss what to do with the police now that they were unemployed. And usually they put them to work managing crowds, which were in church meetings. That's what they did. Drunkenness was cut in half. The illegitimate birth rate dropped 44% in two counties within a year of the beginning of the revival. So great was its impact. And one of the fun stories he tells is that in the mines, there, there was one negative thing. You know, like we watch our stock market. In the mines, there was a slowdown. And everybody said, how could a revival create a slowdown in the mines? Well, it was because the miners had donkeys that pulled the carts and they used such profane language that when they stopped swearing, the donkeys didn't know what to do. 
And J.N. Widor pointed out and did his research, people thought that was a tall tale, but he documented it out of Westminster Abbey. It really happened. There are impacts because of the good news of Jesus, isn't there? There are transformations. The town that we came from, where I used to pray with your dad up in Binghamton, years ago after the turn of the century, some of you may have heard of Billy Sunday. The businesses in Binghamton, the businessmen, would pay money to bring Billy Sunday to preach the gospel in the town of Binghamton. Why? Because after his revival meetings, if I dare say it that way, after his meetings, people would come into their stores and pay what they owed and what they had stolen. They would come under conviction. Dif- Does the gospel make a difference, yes or no? It really does. If you've really got it, it makes a difference. And all of God's people said, I hope, amen? So here's the encouragement. Well, that's all ancient history. I'm going to give you one more, and then I'm going to stop, and you'll be glad. <clears throat> Where is it? I've got to find my notes. Here we go. Small town transformed after surprise revival. Which, by the way, they almost always are a surprise, (laughs) except if you've been praying intently for it. This was Moody Press, Moody, Moody Magazine, 1990. That's, well, I don't know. I'm pretty old, so that's pretty recent to me. And I know things are still happening in other places as well. But this was 1990, Alliance, Nebraska. See if you can catch the the little signals in here. What started as an eight-day crusade has sparked a revival that organizers have trouble explaining. That's always a good sign. Meetings were extended for almost 10 weeks, and nearly 1,000 people made professions of faith. I don't understand what's happening here, said Don... Anders, evangelist with Anders Family Christian Ministries, but it's wonderful. I don't know if he has an accent, but he probably does. All those preachers talk like that. They do. Alliance, here's the, here's the deal. Listen, Alliance is a railroad town of about 9,500. Do the math again. 1,000 professions of faith, 9,500. All we have to do is reach 10 other people. Got the whole town covered. I'm not saying everybody will accept Jesus. We know people won't, but some will. 9,500 in the middle of the Nebraska panhandle has been cited as one of the worst towns in the country for per capita drug use. All kinds of issues. During several meetings, every known unbeliever in the service reportedly received Christ. Something was going on, what do you think? And it was bigger than man. Local residents report dramatic changes, especially in family life. Marriages, even one already in divorce court proceedings, have been restored. The whole town is talking about it. Holy mackerel. It's not a program. A new pastor ain't going to make it happen. Politics, changing laws, policies, all of that isn't going to make it happen. The only one that's going to make it happen is the spirit of the living God. And he's the one we need. If we're going to evangelize, he's the one we need. If we're going to be born again again, he's the one we need, and he can do it. So I have one more verse that I would like to share with you, and that is Acts chapter 3, verse 19. 
Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Interesting phrase. As the apostles are preaching, repent therefore and return that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. There's a good command. I know he was speaking to Jews. I understand that. But you know what? The language is very clear. The word there, times of refreshing, is specifically, Greek is very specific. It's plural. Time after time after time of refreshing may come your way from the presence of the Lord. Eventually, the next verse says, you don't have to read it, that he will send Jesus from heaven and restore everything. But in the meantime, wouldn't it be awesome to have the Zion, the house of the Lord, exalted in such a way that people are drawn and say, tell me what's going on with you. I want in. Help us, Lord. And I want to encourage you, if something has dropped into your spirit today, that you will pray for it. Pray for it. Small touches, small works, or large, it doesn't matter. I want to be in connection with my Father in heaven who has a desire that all men should repent and come to the knowledge of the truth. I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. Do we have a closing song? You do. Ooh. Let me pray. I want to thank you for my brothers and sisters today, and I ask in the great name of Jesus, our Savior, the Lamb who was worthy, the Lamb who was slain, He is the healer. We're the ones that need it. We pray in the name of Jesus that your Spirit would minister grace to the heart of someone in this room today. Encourage their hearts that you have not lost your stuff, You have not fallen off your throne. You are not done winning masses of your creatures back to yourself. And Lord, you want to use us, so please do. Help us in the great name of Jesus, we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen.